You're listening to WorkWire, sponsored by Career Club and Sherm. Career Club has a range of services aimed at job seekers with an empathetic approach. Whether you are a job seeker yourself, know someone who is in job search, or an HR professional looking to bring a more empathetic approach to transitioning employees, check out career.club. If you are an HR professional seeking to enhance your skills, subscribe to Sherm and explore their extensive resources. Visit Sherm.org. That's SHRM.org. Hello, everybody. I'm Goodwin. I'm the president of Career Club, and I'm joined by my good friend, Johnny C. Taylor, CEO of Sherm, for the latest episode of WorkWire. Johnny, welcome. I'm so glad to see you this morning, my man. How are you? I am doing better than I deserve. It's great to see you. Thank you so much. So let's, um, you know, part of the thing that we like to do here on the WorkWire is talk about things that are happening in the contemporary workplace. And of course, remote work is a big piece of that these days and hybrid. And, you know, I think I heard uh, you say one time it took us 100 years to get into the old model. It's going to take us a while to figure out the new. Bingo. Yes. And, and, to, and especially on this topic, it drives me nuts when people say, you know, a year ago, two years ago, even the data is in and X work, remote work works or it doesn't work. And I'm like, you don't know yet. We just don't have enough data, but we are. It's starting to gel now. So I can't wait to talk with you about it. Yeah. Yeah. So what we use as sort of the focal point to kick the conversation off is a lady down in Australia. She worked for a major insurance company down in Australia. And part of her role, ironically, was helping the company monitor the productivity of remote workers or people working from home. And she ended up getting fired from her job because they were using, the company was using a keystroke monitoring tool to just see if people were actually using their computers and how often and to what extent they were using their work computers when they weren't in the office. And this lady, I might get the numbers wrong here a little bit, but the gist of it was out of like 49 days, 44 days, she barely was logged on at all. And on the other five, it was, wasn't much better. And so the company went after her and said, hey, you're not doing your job. We've got you know the technology to kind of back this up. And you know we, we can't tolerate that. That's not acceptable. And so she lost her job. Now, she blamed mental wellness and some other issues on why she wasn't showing up, which apparently she didn't communicate too much in the uh, beforehand. But the basic topic, you know, to just get started is the use of remote monitoring tools with people that are working from home or have some hybrid schedule. What right. do you think? Well, listen. You know, it's amazing to me that people say, oh, this is brand new. The fact of the matter is those technologies have been uh, used by employers who've had employees working remotely for quite a while. I spent time, as you know, this is CHRO of a Fortune 500 company. And one of our divisions, uh, we had call centers. We operated call centers and a significant number of those employees were allowed to work remotely. This was 10 years ago, and we had technology to determine whether or not the employee working at home, we could monitor their customer service, we could monitor yeah. their productivity. All of this is what we've been doing it for a while. So nothing new about it. It's actually very useful because it's only right for an employer to know and be able to understand if it's delivering customer service, great customer service, courteous, professional uh, if we're giving factual information to our customers. And then secondly, if people are productive, do I need 10 people answering calls or do I need 20? What's the mm -hmm. amount of time that people wait? How much time do they spend on calls? This is what it is. The key for this technology is that employers be transparent. 
That's the big deal. If an employee, even legal as a pure legal matter, has an expectation of privacy, which is the term of art, you know, back in the day I practiced law. And uh, the term of art is, is there an expectation, a reasonable expectation of privacy? Well, not if I tell you. If you've ever opened your own computer and you're on the company's line at work, the first thing typically that happens is there's something that says, you do understand this is company property and therefore we have the right yes. to surveil you. And we will. So immediately now goes away the argument that I, I, I find this offensive. Well, you can find it offensive, but they told you and you proceeded at your knowing the risk that you were likely being uh, surveilled. Is there any issue, though, with with location like that you're in my home? And or is it have more to do with the physical asset of the computer or whatever uh, tools or technology that you might be using that actually aren't your possession? They're the companies. Well, it's probably some combination of both for a couple of reasons. One, uh, being in your home also gives us information from an information security standpoint. Depending upon the nature of your job, you could actually put the company's systems at great risk. And so we need to know where you are. I'll give you a case in point. Geographically, I had an employee who was working from anywhere. So not working from home, but was on a holiday in Russia. Went back to see his family member. I needed to know where my computer was. And so when we realized that someone was tapping into the SHRM systems from mm. Russia, we could have immediately shut it down and perceived us as being hacked when in fact it was our employee. So a lot of times companies need to know where their systems are being tapped into from, if that makes sense. Yep. No, it totally makes sense. So, you know, um, in terms of some of this key, you know, keystroke monitoring or other surveillance tools, as you know, there's also a bit of an arms race. Yes. So, so there's also tools out there that employees are using that moves my mouse every 45 seconds. That's right. So it looks like I'm doing something or my computer is showing activity. Yes. Is there, is there any uh, risk from the employee side of like, yeah, you can't do that. Like you, you're trying to fake us out. It's not, it's not, not, maybe even not cool, but actually you, you can't do that. Those kinds of tools are not allowed on company assets. Well, right. It's, it's, it's deceptive to start with, but more importantly, it absolutely runs counter to the word that employees used a lot about trust. And I understand mm -hmm. the point is, well, if you trusted me, then you wouldn't surveil me. But the reason I have to surveil you is not always to find out what you're doing per se, but to ensure, as I said, that our customers are getting the experience that we promised them. So there are business reasons unrelated to you, the individual and your behaviors that matter to us. At the end of the day, employers can do it, provided they tell you, and frankly, yeah. they can do it and not even tell you in many instances. But let's just say, I think it's great practice. We in the HR world know to let people know you are being surveilled potentially periodically from time to time. And then to act in good. See, see here's the deal. We ultimately could just call everyone back into the physical office. That's the real dilemma here is that at some point, if there's this race, the employer starts to surveil you, you come up with the technology that helps you hide what you're actually doing. Then we say, you know what? I can actually fix all of this, bring you back into a physical office. And then all of the advancements that we've seen uh, from work from home, work from anywhere, whatever, go away because fundamentally the employer has the right to dictate the terms and conditions of employment in the normal condition, especially in this country where it's employment at will.
Yeah. So, I mean, because I think, you know, that kind of gets into productivity theater where people are trying to look busy. Right. I mean, you could look busy in an office too, right? And you know, like, walking around, like I, I remember I was young and somebody's like, always walk around with a piece of paper in your hand or a folder or something. I mean, like, look like you're busy, young man. Yes. Like, don't just like walk around not doing anything. But but you couldn't have done that, Bob, for 45 days in the case of the Australia. I mean, like there's, fair, fair there's a certain amount of that that just doesn't work in person after a while. People figure it out a little more quickly than when you're at home or on a beach somewhere. Here's another thing that I just got to jab in here and tell you, Please. we are increasingly seeing data that suggests employees are saying they're overworked, burnt out, mental health, the you know, part of what the woman alleged in Australia, but there's interesting data. There's a study that was just updated as of January, 2023 where about a third of the employees who are working remotely have a second job. Mm. And that's, and another third have full-time second jobs. So there's this really interesting dynamic. We as employers are saying, I'm paying you, I'm providing you benefits, et cetera. And in fact, you have a whole nother job or a gig job and I'm not getting the full benefit of my. Well, yeah, yeah, yes or no? Because, you know, do you really care as long as the productivity is? So you talked about your call center example earlier. As long as calls are being answered on time, resolved satisfactorily, do you care that I also have an Etsy? Yes, I do. Because if you burn out, then you go on my health care benefits. I have to pay for everything that flows from that burnout. But if you fire me or lay me off, I, I need something to fall back on because you, you're it's employment at will. You could let me go this afternoon and I don't have a job. I've, I've created another source of income for myself. That's Should right. the company decide to do what they believe is in their best interest? No, got it. Listen, that's the dilemma of it all. So you do so. And then if, in fact, while doing those two gigs, right, you burn out. Is it fair or should I have to pay for the consequences of you overworking yourself? That's my question. Well, I, well but, but I just want to go back to the kind of just like the business KPIs. Right. As, as long as you know, whatever the measurable output, and hopefully there are expectations of what my work product is supposed to be, whatever my role is. Right. As long as those metrics or expectations are being met, Again, should you do you are you only paying me for my time or are you actually paying me for my productivity? That's a great it's both. It's actually both because I take this. What if you could do eight hours worth of work? And this is the question. It's the fundamental question. If you could do all of your work one hour and it took just one hour in a day. That's your question, right? Well, Ish. if I then reduce you from full time employment to five hours a month. That's my response. What if you switch to a four-hour work week to prevent me from getting burned out? I could do that. I'm going to pay you for that one hour. Okay. So then that says, you know, then you know, gases take the, the volume that's allotted to them, right? Yeah. So you know, then I'm going to get done what I can get done in an hour. Does that meet your business need or do you now need 50 of me to do that or do we expand the relationship? But again, to me, it seems like the denominator isn't ours. It's what's actually getting done. Isn't that what you care about? I think it's both. 
And, and that's where the argument that I love this because this is the this is a tension that exists forever. You know, we, we see this a lot. And, and I'll give you an example of hotels. You know, you have one housekeeper who can do 10 rooms in mm-hmm. for our period of time. You have another who can do those 10 rooms in half the amount of time. What do you do? Do you do you let the person who's finished in two hours go home and pay her for the remaining two hours because she's efficient? Or do you give her more rooms to do or him in the case of housekeeper it can be male or female? That's the age old question. Just or, or do you compensate him or her differently because you're getting more production from them? Therefore, they should be making more money. And I mean, this or is like I become, 200 years. It's like piecework. Or I become, yeah. but it's not piecework. Or I become more profitable because you are more efficient. And so I get rid of them. Until I get burned out. Oh, now you're worried about burnout. <laughs> oh, now we're back to burnout. <laughs> <laughs> you got my point. That was where we started. So you're worried about burnout now, but you have two jobs. Hmm. It's like many complicated questions. There is no simple answer, right? It is. Um, and that's the beauty of it. What I love about the word choir is there's no right or wrong necessarily. We're just going to explore how the employer perceives it how the employee perceives it, and the issues at play. There's a debate. I think it's quite compelling, your argument, that is, I should be rewarded for being quite efficient and highly productive, not penalized. If it's my time and I can do it, it should be my time. I get that argument. I'm not suggesting it's a bad argument for anyone listening in. I'm also saying then maybe we as the employer should demand more productivity. So if I say you can do create 50 widgets in an hour, the normal person, you prove that you can actually do 50 in half an hour, then maybe my new productivity standard should be 100 per hour, not yep. give you the time off. I see both arguments. Well, and, and I guess, you know, maybe that's all part of the same soup here, which is I could give you more units to produce. Yes. But I know that in some period of time, you're going to burn out. I think about the Amazon warehouse worker. Yes. Right. Yep. And so, like, you know, that somebody's got an algorithm and they've got their spreadsheet and they're figuring out, you know what, if we get people to pick just this much faster, get one more item per hour, blah, 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 that, you know, we could do that until people's bodies start breaking down but and that they can't do that. That's the point. So that very person who says, you know what, I finished my work in four hours of the eight hour day. So now I'm going to take another job for the remaining four hours. That's where we started, Right. That person, we are making the point that you will burn out. Mm. Will, whether you're doing our work for the remaining four hours or someone else's work during the remaining four hours, if the additional workload delivered by me or delivered that you go get it because you want a second gig and second income, if burnout is in fact the concern, you're going to burn out. And that becomes our concern because more likely than not, that second job doesn't provide your benefits. We Mm. do. And so the cost of you burning out are quite significant for us. And therefore, the employer has a fair argument. Let's let's zoom out for half of a second, because, you know, on on several episodes, we've talked about culture and that there is no good culture, bad culture per se. But does it fit you? Is is it a culture that works for you? Yep. And can we agree that that's a a fair premise to start from? Absolutely. So back on the, the surveillance and stuff, you know, one culture 
could be, you know what, there are, our MO is autonomy yes. and accountability. That's right. Well, I'm going to give you a ton of autonomy, Johnny, but you're also going to be 100% accountable for what we've asked you to do. So I kind of don't care, given the nature of your work, if you're doing it at two in the afternoon or two in the morning, Heaven. knock yourself out. I just need it on my desk at eight o'clock in the morning. Yes. Okay, cool. And But you, as an adult, also are accountable for getting that done, and I'm going to trust you to do it. Another, and probably just kind of going to the extreme, is something that's very micromanaged, right? And we're, we're counting every single thing that you do. We are just in your face all the time with feedback about when, what, how, what you're doing. Do, do, you have a, do you have a sense broadly if one of those would tend to be a better or some combo would tend to be a more preferred culture? First of all, I'm going to get you on your bias came through because you described the first one and then you said, but to the extreme is this other one. Your bias came through. I think I said on the other extreme. <laughs> the fact of the matter is both are pretty extreme, right? Both are pretty extreme. If in fact the employment relationship doesn't really exist, i.e. it's you output this, do it how you want to do it, when you want to do it, et cetera then why don't I just outsource these jobs? Why don't I just, you know, have, I, why am I paying FUCA and FUDA and all of the taxes because you're an employee? Why am I providing benefits? If we're going to have a purely transactional, you deliver this many or this amount of productivity and I pay you for it, then why are we hiring people at all? But anyway, both models work. There are companies that fully outsource significant swaths of their work because they say it's purely transactional work. And others who say, you're going to stay here, but I want to know exactly what you're doing while you're here because I'm trying to optimize productivity and make myself even more efficient. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's a back to the fundamental argument, good or bad. It's bad if you hire people and don't tell them what the deal is. If you tell them, this is our culture, this is how we operate our business, this is how we measure, this is what success looks like, this is what failure looks like, and then one goes in with eyes wide open, mm -hmm. that's a great culture. So I'm not, I know, it's, I know what you want me to do, Bob, is to call one of them out. I don't know that there's a good or bad there. Just tell people what the deal is. I know some, and by the way, there are employees who operate to that point, I was reading an article the other day. This guy, Brandon Southern is his name. He formerly was okay. head of analytics at eBay, Amazon, GameStop, a, whole bunch, GameStop, a whole bunch of companies. And he basically said, you know, guys, I'm going to give you some bad news. I actually think his headline was, I'm a former, former senior leader at Amazon and working in the office made me better at my job. Okay. Okay. So here we are trying to, I think it depends. It depends by individual. It depends by the company's culture. It just, it all depends. And we all want to be right. We want to say, well, work from home works for me. So therefore it works for everyone. Not so. And yep. companies want to say, my employees can work remotely and we're quite effective, but that doesn't mean company B is going to have the same results. We've got to be willing to say it depends and then use the data to decide. Once you have the data and you've decided what your culture is going to be, tell people on the way in, this is what it is. And people can decide to work there or not. Yeah. Another vector into this, uh, we've got a mutual friend, Katie George at McKinsey, the chief yes. people officer at McKinsey. Yes. And, you know, her take on this is that, um, yes, it depends, 
also depends on where we are in a given work stream of something. So like in the beginning stages where collaboration might be really important because it's ideation, discovery, agreement on what the plan is going to be, whatever is it requires multiple parties, input and buy-in, we're probably better together and in figuring all that stuff out. When some of the work starts to get parceled out, and okay, Johnny, you're going to go do this, Bob, you're going to go do that. And Katie's going to do the third thing. Okay. You know, and do we all need to be in the office on that day when you're kind of head down? You know, I read an article uh, where this lady was talking about, several people were talking about sometimes going into the office when they're in head down mode. Yes. is a giant distraction. Absolutely them because it's got to how was your weekend johnny me too that's great and then i see the coffee pot and then and it's just like i just need to like put in earbuds and get work done like i need to stop talking to people and then and then and just using that thought taking that out then there's the person who says um i'm i don't have a four-bedroom house with an office in my house i have a one-bedroom apartment i have three kids i'm a single mom I can't focus at home. Actually coming into the office allows me to step away from screaming kids and gives me space, et cetera, and the tools that I need because I can't afford high-speed Wi-Fi. So even that very situation, it depends. She may actually be more productive, more effective given her circumstances or his circumstances that are tied to socioeconomic status in the office than outside of the office. I don't have a printer. I need to print something. I don't have the paper. I can't pay for the cartridges. If I were in the office, I'd hit a button and I can go over and pick up the printed document. So we do, we want the temptation is to say this works and it works for this reasons or to point to an example that that's, that's not the way the real life works. And we've, we've got to factor in on a very individual level, how it impacts people and then make better informed decisions. But for every one of the situations that Katie can point to and I can point to and you can point to where people are more effective. I was a lawyer. When it was time for me to write a brief, I stayed home for two days because I needed to be focused and intent. But I also had an amazing house with an office and everything else and resources. So that was a different experience for me than it might be for my counterpart who was not similarly situated. Fair? No, totally. And, and I think the takeaway is there's no monolithic, single, one size fits all kind of an answer to this. I think what's, you know, we, we talk a lot about the pandemic. I mean, that was just a gigantic stake in the ground. Right. And it's opened up, you know, both employees and employers eyes that you know there's a life that people have going on and work is a piece of it. It's not the whole thing. And how we be empathetic on both sides. And I, I think that that's some of the one sidedness on empathy too, that it's the company to the employee only and the employee's not being empathetic to the employer. Yeah. And, and I, I interviewed one guy on my uh, uh, career club podcast uh, a few months ago. And you, he said that before the pandemic, everybody's coming to work five days a week and then asking people to come back. And it's like, no, I don't want to. And it's like, wait a minute. I already, giving you two days to work from home. I, th- I think somebody's being flexible here. I think his name was Johnny C. Taylor. <laughs> but but, but it, it, the, the empathy thing goes both ways. Yes. And if it's only what I want, it's probably not going to work for either party. 
That's right. Bob, one other thing that I think as we wrap this session up is at the end of the day, employees have been surveilled forever. Mm. It's kind of the way it works. When you formally came into the office full-time pre-pandemic and you swiped your badge, we were surveilling you. We knew what day you went, what time you came into the office, what time you came into the garage. We knew uh, largely when you went to lunch, if you left the building, then you swiped out. All of those swipes throughout the day, just going from floor to floor, we use that, not necessarily on an individual level, but actually my administrative services, services people come back and report to us, where are people actually trafficking the building? Just because it allows us to determine where we should put conference rooms, how many bathrooms we put on a floor, et cetera. There's a lot of data. We've been surveilling forever. And so this idea that surveillance is bad, it, it, it ignores the fact that we've been doing it for a while. And typically it's done to protect not just the company, but other employees. We surveil when people come into the building to ensure that we don't have, we have fewer instances of workplace violence. You know, there's just this idea that surveillance by definition is bad, ignores the fact that there are legitimate reasons. As I said, customer service, when I call Delta Airlines, for example, I want, no matter if you're working in their customer center, call center in the office, or if you're working at home, I would like to think that periodically they are randomly listening in on conversations to ensure that the person on the other end is treating me the way Delta wants me to treat be treated. That's just the way it all works. Yeah. So th thank you for kind of bringing us back to you know, sort of the original point here. And, and I think you said it well early on. It's trust. It's disclosure yep. of what's going on. And you know, back to, is this a, a culture that works for me? And if it's not, there's a bunch of other places you're welcome to go work, but the company does have a right to know what's going on with their employees, with their customers, with their assets. And at the same time, the employee has the right to know like what's going on with me. And, and so I can you know, just, just know I've, I've got a right to be informed. So one other thing I know you're going to, I know we've got to run, but it's so classic housekeeper comes, she's at my house and I tell her on the way in, when we first engaged, I have cameras throughout my house, period. I will know when you're cleaning my rooms. And so she left a light on in a room one time. I came back after a week of vacation and all of the lights were on and it kind of annoyed me. And I confronted her. I said, like, you left my lights on. No, I didn't. Da, da, da. I said, well, here's the video. <laughs> like People are surveilled all the time. That, that's and, and frankly, it's a matter of security. It's a matter of a whole bunch of things, whether you're in office mm -hmm. or not in office. And my in this instance, my office here for her purposes was my house and I was surveilling. So we just again, telling people is, is half the battle and then being reasonable with it. I don't want to go around and I'm not going to surveil if she takes a lunch break. Like there's, you have to be reasonable with it. I wanted to just add that layer of it. Employers should do their best to gather data at a very macro level and only dig down onto an individual when there's reason to do it. I once, when I practiced law, we knew someone was downloading a lot of information uh, from the, and guess what? It ended up being porn and ended up being child porn. And we turned it over to authorities, et cetera. There are legitimate reasons to surveil employees. Well, and that's what I appreciate about the work wire, because when you just read one side of a story 
it's like, oh my God, that's horrible. And you're like, well, well hey, let's unpack this a little bit. Yeah. Thanks so much for helping us unpack this one today. A pleasure as always. And thank you everyone for watching and listening. Please subscribe on YouTube. We'd love it if you rated and reviewed the WorkWire on your favorite podcast platform. And Johnny, until next time, I will see you soon. See you. All right. Check out career.club for personalized help with your job search. Visit shrm.org to become part of the largest human resources organization worldwide.